Y'all too. Enjoy the weekend. It's only an hour. Jeff and Jordan, every weekday from 11 to noon right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. And of course, it's a little afternoon, which means it's time for Trey and BK for the next hour. Happy Friday to you and yours. Hope you all are having a great day so far. We appreciate y'all spending some or all of your Friday with us. As Trey is finding the Zoom feature on his webcam today. What's going on with you? Oh, just trying to get things uh, in the right spot. God damn it. Did you zoom in more than normal? Uh, for some reason, the tilt of my camera has gone down just a little bit. That's not a euphemism, the actual camera that I'm using for the video shot. And so it throws everything off just enough. And so I get obsessed with these things and I'm having to fix it mid show, but I'm able to talk and move a tripod at the same time. Not my tripod, a tripod though. And see, mm. that's, that's all it took right there. It's been a busy but good day and I'm glad that you and I get to talk for the next 50 minutes or so. Hey, speaking of books, I do want to make this recommendation right now. I'm going to be interviewing the author here at two o'clock. Moshe Kasher is his name. He's a comedian but he just came out with a really good book called Subculture Vulture that is all about the six moments or aspects of elements of his life that have really shaped who and what he is as a comedian and also a person. It's everything from having to go to AA and get sober at the age of 15 to a uh, sober love for, um, oh gosh, what is the festival? Burning Man Festival to loving raves as a sober guy, to the fact that he's Jewish, to the fact that he's a comedian. Fascinating book that I think elicits a really interesting question of people, and that is what is a life event or a quality of your life that has really shaped or influenced who and what you are as a person? So you're at a dinner party this week and throw that one out there. It might elicit some really interesting answers. He wrote a whole book to ask that one question. It's based around that one question, but he gives uh, his own personal anecdotes. He gives a history of certain things, like he grew up with deaf parents. And so he talks about the history of deaf people and just their uh, the evolution of their language and how they learned how to communicate with one another and how the American education system has failed them so much over the years. But like he became uh, an ASL interpreter when he was a teenager, making really good money to do that too. And all, as he puts it in the book, all of his friends outside of his drug dealing friends weren't making near the money that he was at that time. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating concept. And I think the book is really good. He's actually going to be in conversation with Duncan Trestle, who is another comedian who's actually lives here in Austin now at Book People on Tuesday night. I think it's going to be a really cool time. There are still tickets remaining for anybody who's interested, bookpeople.com. I can't go, unfortunately, but I do get to talk with him today, and I may be speaking with Duncan on Monday. So, Cool. Shout out, Moshe. Shout out, Duncan Donuts, man. Sounds like a good collab right there with those two. I'm getting roasted for the reading comments. I didn't realize all you people were nerds out there, but congrats on reading more than me. That's, uh, that's cool of y'all. Uh, good comment here from Coach 420, making his way to Hay City Store for a bacon jam burger. Heck yeah. That one we can all agree on is uh, a good bit. And Jorge says he valeted Chris Bosch one time at the Long Center for the Nutcracker since we're flexing our Chris Bosch experiences. Did you ask him what it was like to be an NBA Hall of Famer despite looking like a dinosaur? 
I did not ask that question. Darn it. I wish I had conferred with you before conducting the interview. <laughs> uh, it's a good story of overcoming the odds right there for uh, the great Chris Bosch. Okay. I love that guy. He's awesome. Uh, all right. So the one of the main stars on that Miami Heat team. He's the one likable guy. Yeah. Because LeBron, you know, whatever you think about his basketball skills, he's hard to like. And then Dwayne Wade is the biggest flop in the history of the league. Yeah. Fuck that guy too. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, Bosch. Hey, he was awesome with the Raptors too. The Raptors just never won anything, but he's like maybe the best player in that franchise's history. It's either him or Vince Carter, maybe DeRozan. Kawhi was there for a year. He won him a title, so some fans might go with him. But yeah, he's a he's a stud. And then you're right, of those three on that, the Heatles, as they like to call themselves, he was uh, far and away the easiest one. To not root against, I don't know if I'll say root for, because I sure as hell wasn't rooting for any of them, but uh, to not root against maybe the way to best describe that team and that guy. Uh, all right, a lot to get into today. We'll talk some Texas basketball. The Longhorns back in action tomorrow at BYU. We'll talk some Texas football. Our friends at Dave Campbell's Texas football have released their projected starters for the Horns in 2024. Curious to uh, get your thoughts on what they got right and what they maybe got wrong. But of course, Trey, two days away from Conference Championship Sunday in the NFL. I would love to get your thoughts on both of these games. The AFC title game happens first, 2 o'clock on Sunday. It's the Chiefs in Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Of course, the Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champs in the AFC title game for the sixth straight year. Lamar Jackson leads the one-seed Ravens. They are hosting this game. It's the first time Lamar Jackson has ever made it this far in the playoffs. And then, of course, the nightcap Lions at 49ers. But we'll go in order. Uh, early thoughts on Kansas City at Baltimore. I know a lot of people are bringing up the stat this week, as they should, about Pat Mahomes as an underdog, 9-1-1 one, one against the spread, 8-3 and three overall. So he's actually won eight of those games where they are supposed to lose the game, according to Vegas. It's a, uh, it, it's a tantalizing stat, let's just say. But I also have watched this Baltimore Ravens team throughout the course of the 2023 season as a skeptic, by the way, as somebody who didn't think that they were as good as their record was indicating throughout the course of the season. And they passed pretty much every difficult test that they were faced, not just by winning the game, but like crushing the competition in the process. So I think this is one of those moments we see this Ravens team play their best football, Lamar Jackson, who is the MVP, this number one scoring defense as well, uh, do enough to not just win the game, but probably win the game in that 7 to 10 point range when it's all said and done. Yeah, I'm sorry to tell you that you and I agree on this one. I know. So congrats to the Chiefs on at least covering the four, maybe winning outright. Uh, Baltimore's too good, man. They are too good. And you're right. They have been blowing out good teams all season. They obviously crushed the Texans last weekend, 34 to 10. They beat the Dolphins in week 17, 56 to 19. They beat the 49ers in week 16, 33 to 19. And that game really wasn't that close, right? San Francisco had a garbage time touchdown late to even make it as close as it was. Uh, they beat Jacksonville by 16. They beat the Lions 38 to 6 in October. They beat the Seahawks 37 to 3. These are good teams. Most of those teams that I just mentioned were in the playoffs. And, and the Ravens crushed yeah. all of them, Trey. 
Yeah, and that Seahawks team at that time, I realized they they kind of floundered at the end of the season. If I'm remembering correctly, that was near the start of the year when they were actually looking pretty good heading into that game. Yeah, they were. They were. So, I mean, it's just all season long. They have been dominating these quality opponents like the anti-Cowboys. Uh, it's just crazy to see what the Ravens have done whenever they've had to play a really good team this year. So, yeah, you mentioned it, man. Lamar Jackson's going to be the MVP of the league this season. Uh, the Ravens' defense is number one in scoring defense. Kansas City is number two. Obviously, the Chiefs' defense has been sensational this year, especially when you compare it to what it's been for most of Mahomes' career up there. But that Ravens' defense is salty. They lead the NFL in sacks, too, so they're going to be able to get some pressure on Mahomes on Sunday. I just, yeah, I mean, betting against Mahomes, that's a scary proposition. I understand that, but I just think Baltimore, top to bottom, is the better football team right now. And I'll tell you what, Kansas City better get off to a hot start because you do not want to be playing catch-up against that defense and against an offense that runs the ball as effectively as Baltimore's. This game could get out of hand quickly if KC doesn't get off to a good start. But, uh, yeah, just top to bottom, left to right, however you want to look at uh, look at it. I just feel like Baltimore's better than KC right now. Still a great year for the Chiefs. Impressive that they've gotten here considering how inconsistent they've been on offense. But the Texans only scored three points last weekend offensively against Baltimore. I know Mahomes is better than Stroud right now. I know what the Chiefs have done. But, God, the Chiefs' offense has been so inconsistent this year. I just I have a tough time thinking they're going to have a ton of success against that Ravens' day. That's where I am right now, too. Now, the fact that the Chiefs' receivers are all of a sudden not dropping the football anymore is a, a big step forward for that offense. And Pacheco running like... He is capable of, I mean, he runs like a man who is not just possessed, but really freaking pissed off at the opposition too. It is impressive to see him get to that point once again in these playoffs. But ultimately, I think uh, Baltimore's home field advantage is probably a little bit underrated. I know we talk a lot about just how important Arrowhead is. Uh, Baltimore can get raucous too. It's uh, maybe mm -hmm. uh, the uh, underrated home field advantage in the league, considering just how good Baltimore has been in that building over the last five to ten years now. Uh, so that probably comes into play as well. And ultimately, we see Pat Mahomes lose in the uh, AFC Championship game, which is it, not something we always say. This is their sixth straight game. They've obviously made a handful of Super Bowls in that time. But I think this is a year where ultimately their shortcomings do trip them up on top of the fact that they are going up against a truly good Ravens team. Yeah, Ravens also first in the NFL in takeaways. How about that for a defense? They lead the league in scoring defense. They lead the league in sacks. They lead the league in takeaways. That's as dominant as you could possibly be. Uh, and I mentioned it, Baltimore, they've won 10 games. That's an NFL record. 10 games against teams with winning records this season. They won them by an average of 17.8 points per game. I know Kevin and I talked about this a little bit on Tuesday uh, for the 15 minutes where you were picking up Viv. Mm -hmm. and, and Kevin's been on this. There's no real dominant team in the NFL this year. Like, I don't know if Baltimore wins at all. They're going to go down as a top five team in the history of the NFL. They probably won't, and they probably shouldn't. But they're they're the dominant team. Like, they, if they lose, obviously you can't say that, whether it's this Sunday or two Sundays from now. But, like, they are a dominant team. They are doing things that no one in the NFL has ever done before in terms of their dominance. So, I don't know. For me, man, like, if, if this Baltimore team is able to find two more wins – um, they they deserve a lot of love for being historically good, if not great. As a matter of fact, speaking of the dominance, and I hope you didn't already say this and I just missed it, but 
Baltimore is the fourth team since the 1970 merger to have a first-team All-Pro QB and the number one scoring defense in the same year. The three previous teams, the 72 Dolphins, the 78 Steelers, and the 96 Packers, all won a Super Bowl. So wow. that's the sort of history that we're up against right now. There you go. Yeah, so there, that's it's a damn good team. Doesn't matter if they lose to Kansas City, but if they find a, a way to hoist the Lombardi Trophy in Vegas in two weeks, then, yeah, maybe they deserve more love uh, than they have been getting. So both of us like Baltimore and the AFC. What about the NFC, the nightcap? San Francisco, man, the, the money is going in on the Niners. The line increased. It's now seven and a half. Oh, wow. In favor of San Francisco. Of course, the game by the Bay, Sunday evening, um, the Niners escaped. They needed a game-winning touchdown drive and a game-sealing interception to beat the Packers last weekend. The Lions, hey, Tampa Bay fought them hard, but the Lions were able to pull away in the second half to get the win there. It's it's hilarious. San Francisco has been this deep into the playoffs more than any team in NFL history, and Detroit is trying to get to the Super Bowl for the first time ever. So, uh, tale of two different teams when it comes to history. A lot of people are picking Detroit, not only to cover in this one, Trey, but to win this game outright. How you feeling? Oh, shit. I'm seeing somebody with the exact same prediction I gave with our friend Sam Paniotovich a little bit earlier for the radio show. A question, because I'm not seeing this on Twitter. Have you heard one way or another whether Debo Samuel is playing this weekend? Nah, I keep seeing game time decision, so not really. My inclination this morning was that not only does Detroit win this game, but they win it by double digits. Detroit wins this game 31 to 21. Oh. I think that Detroit's biggest weakness is an area that San Francisco is not going to be good enough at exploiting, and that is completing passes, but also completing passes downfield too. I think you see that front play with their hair on fire. They do a decent job of limiting Christian McCaffrey uh, with the rushing attempts. And ultimately, Brock Purdy, some of the curious things that were going on last weekend, and look, I understand it's not going to be raining on Sunday in the Bay Area, but some of the curious things happening with him last weekend are still on display, except uh, some of those moments become back-breaking moments for this football team to where they're forced to throw more than they want to in the second half of this game to try and come back. Hmm. Whereas Detroit is really clicking on all cylinders. That di that offense is dynamic. They're good at running back with both Montgomery and Gibbs. And Jared Goff is playing really good football right now. Has a, a great rapport with all his receivers. I'm on Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, Jameson Williams has really been coming on in these playoffs. And then Sam Laporta, who is the future at tight ends, I have the Lions winning by 10 points, 31 to 21. Wow. All right. Not only the wrong team favored, but you think Vegas is off by 17 points with their line right now. Weird, weird things happen sometimes. And the compassionate meathead Dan Campbell, he has his guys locked in. Now, my one concern with that prediction, well, there's multiple concerns, but my biggest concern with that prediction is that other than these playoffs, which you could argue that the competition that they've gone up against hasn't exactly been gangbusters this year, pretty much every good team that they played this season kicked the Lions' ass. So that right there shows you that they weren't quite ready for prime time. Have they evolved and developed enough to where they can get past that? 
My prediction says yes, but there's obviously a, a good chance that's not the case and that San Francisco is the team that ends up winning by double digits. Have you seen the Super Bowl logo conspiracy? No. Let me pull this up for you. A little screen share action. The colors of the Super Bowl logo have represented the teams who have played in the Super Bowl in each of the last two years. I don't know if you're seeing this right now on your screen. But you've got a couple of years ago, they had orange and yellow as the two colors. You had Bengals and Rams playing in that game. Last year, green and red were the two Super Bowl colors. You had the Eagles and the Chiefs in that game. And this year, the two colors for the Super Bowl logo are purple and red. So we're getting the Ravens and the Niners. It's in the script, Trey. You know this whole league is scripted. It's in the script. It's been written since before the season even started. It's got to be San Francisco and Baltimore, doesn't it? Are we taking a little bit of a liberty with that top logo, that being orange? Reddish orange. Okay. Are we taking a little bit of a liberty with the second logo, that being considered the Eagles green? That's uh, green. That's a lighter green. It ain't Eagles green, but it's green. I mean, hey, maybe uh, maybe whoever's making these logos has the Back to the Future 2 future almanac from 20 years down the road, and they know exactly how this season is going to play out, and so they can make the logo as such. Biff Tannen doing some NFL work these days. Biff Tannen, that's right. Hoverboards galore and those self-drying jackets. Never understood the self-drying jacket, by the way. Why why did why were we so pressed that we needed to create a self-drying jacket? It's like every uh every hoverboarding teenager is gonna end up falling into a swimming pool or falling into a lake and needs the self-drying jacket option. I can't think of one time in my life when I guess I get stuck in the rain, but if you're going to get stuck in the rain, you get a rain jacket that I would need my jacket to dry that quickly, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I like the self-drying jacket. Like this week, it would have been nice. I mean, I've got a rain jacket, but still, when you walk inside, the jacket's wet. You don't know where to put it. You throw it on a couch, the couch gets wet. You throw it on the floor, the floor gets wet. If it just self-dries, then boom. It's like it never even happened. Didn't you go jacket off this weekend, though? Uh, yeah, but this week I went jacket on in public, but last week I did go jacket off in public, but yeah, I mean, you got to mix it up. Sometimes you have the jacket with you. Sometimes you don't have the jacket and it's just how it goes, but a self-drying jacket. Come on. I mean, it wouldn't be like number one on my list of inventions that I would like to see invented, but it's on the list. No. I don't think what else, what else do they make? It's low on the list. That's the problem. I mean, the, the video phone bits, that's obviously something that has a lot of value. Plenty of people uh, utilize that one in modern times. I understand the, the cool points for the hoverboard. We're still not quite there just yet, but people ride those one wheeled skateboards around now and the actual hoverboards that look like a Segway minus the, uh, the bar coming up. Somehow those are cool. Everyone rags on the Segway. I felt like the self-lacing shoes were, I get the value of that, but I also, it seems kind of pointless to me. If you're not a laces person and your shoes have laces, well, you just tie them loose enough to where you can just slip them on and off. Bingo. Yeah. If you have to go tight, 
you redo them and you, and you tighten them up if you're about to run or something. The tennis shoes that I wear regularly get tied once a month. Like I just tie them loose enough to where I can slide them in and slide them out all the time. So yeah, self-lacing shoes, not great. I do like the, I mean, we've got, I guess now we have face ID on our phones. We had the the thumbprint ID for a while. Yeah. I kind of like that for the door lock bit. Remember they had that, like you put your fingerprint down on your front door and it would open that way instead of having a key like that. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think what else is in the... Well, they've got the retinal scan now, and you can do the the palm print or the thumbprint to get into certain doors at like offices, let's say. Yeah. That's so true. I, I can do my thumbprint to unlock my computer. So I guess a version yeah. of that one does exist too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It exists in in other things. Uh or the automatic dog walker. I guess now we have to like we can rent somebody to walk our dogs for us, but they had like a ghost walking dogs back then. Hmm. And then and then flying cars set, you know. Oh be, yeah. Yeah. That's flying. probably the one, right? That's gotta be the, the number one thing that we wish we had from those movies, besides the almanac. Yeah, it's definitely not the master cook. You just type in what you want and it whips it up real quick. That's a that seems like you're cooking all your food in a microwave, you know? Yeah, but God, how convenient is that? I forgot about the master cook. It's like an air fryer, but it, you don't have to go buy the ingredients. It's just all, it's all there. It's you like maybe a fan of this one is somebody who rarely leaves his house. The, uh, the scene screens where you can just have a screen up where there should be windows that allow you to see <clears throat> outside into your apartment complex uh, parking lot. Instead, you can have like a scene in the Swiss Alps or something, you know? Yeah. I think Tom McKay, Vavy Consultations, has TVs that turn into paintings when they're off. So it's kind of like that. I mean, it's not blinds, but it can basically be set to where it's not. When it's not on an actual TV channel, it's showing some sort of cool picture. So we kind of have some of this stuff. Good job, Back to the Future. They, they gave us some ideas. I'm looking at all the best inventions from Back to the Future, too. There's a few more. One is the binocular card. I don't know what that is. It gives its user the ability to zoom in on unsuspecting individuals, much like a standard binocular. Oh, hold on there, R. Kelly. Owners of these cards can also take pictures with the rather unique digital binoculars, allowing the user to adjust the zoom and focus levels of the image. Seeing this tiny contraption being capable of generating such powerful images is truly impressive to witness. But don't we have a version of this now? Yeah, I feel like... J drones pretty much are yeah i feel like our military probably has some sort of device that's really small that allows you to zoom in on somebody and take pictures I mean, all the movies have that shit so i assume in real life we have that so mr fusion uh is that a fleshlight item or something what is that it's a home energy reactor it is the power source for the uh, the Back to the Future car. Okay. So I it was, like, I don't know. It's like a, a, a home generator, but one that doesn't run on gasoline. It runs on hmm. fusion. Okay. Oh, yeah. When he goes to the future and brings it back, he's got that as the power of the car instead of the plutonium that he steals from the... Oh, where are they from? That he steals it from. 
what race got caught with a stray in the first Back to the Future. And he goes and steals the plutonium, and then those guys start shooting at him before they hit 88 miles oh. per hour. Albanians, maybe? Maybe it's the Albanes. Lebanese? Yeah. Sorry, I'm those who control Austin. I don't mean to be throwing you under the bus unnecessarily. I'm just going to say yes to any because I don't know the answer to it. So whatever whatever you say goes. Romanians? Sounds good to me. Don't say the Jews. Wasn't us <laughs> that time. We've done a few things, but not that. Okay, so... Oh, man, I don't even know if I want to get into this. Uh, right that's that's a bad start to the conversation. You know what? We're going to hold off on this until where are we at in society because... There was a bit of a discovery from my kids' school yesterday that I discovered as a parent who talks to his kids when, when we're heading home from school. Libyan. Okay, there we go. Mm. Librarian, perhaps. Is that is that where the Libyans are from? They're from the public library? Just, yeah. <laughs> Libya has the librarians, just like Ghana has the Ghanaians. That's the rule. <laughs> Yes, that's. Uh, I remember learning about that in school as a kid. That checks out. All right, so that's where we at in society. Gonorrhians. Gonorrhians play pretty good soccer, as far as I know. Interesting. Okay, well, that something is coming up in fifteen minutes. And where are we at in society? Uh, we just gave some love to AV consultations. Give them a call five one two two five five eight six seven eight. Uh, if you want the home TV setup of your dreams, like Trey has, like I have, like Bucky has, like Wags has, I mean, it feels like everybody who's a part of TSU has been hooked up by AVC. And they can hook you up, too. They've hooked up thousands of Central Texans over the last three and a half decades plus. That's right. They started in 88, and they're still going strong in 2024. Just call them, 512-255-8678. And also a shout-out to our great friends at Covert Bee Cave. We'll let you hear from Dan and Hayden themselves. Hi, I'm Dan Covert with my wife, Hayden. Welcome to Covert BK. Our newest location in the gorgeous hill country includes Buick, GMC, Cadillac, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram, and hundreds of pre-owned and certified vehicles for you to choose from. We have three service departments that are ready to take care of your car, truck, or SUV with 86 service bays to accommodate any repair and get you in and out quickly. Come visit us today to select the vehicle you've been dreaming about. Over, born and raised in Austin. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. The best place to go get you a newer pre-owned car, truck, or SUV is Covert Bee Cave. Also, shout out to Oldstad Beer, whatever you have going on this weekend. If you're hitting the town, enjoying the nice weather we're supposed to have over the next couple of days, make sure you have an Oldstad by your side. If you're staying at home, just watching college basketball tomorrow and watching football on Sunday, uh, make sure you have a nice cold Oldstad or two or three or ten by your side the best beer in the world it's liquid gold it's easy to find wherever you buy your six packs or whatever bars and restaurants you're going to all across the great state of texas you're going to be able to find alt stat beer no impurities no regrets there's some texas football here Trey. sure i want to get your thoughts on this so uh dave campbell's texas football the iconic magazine that's been a thing in the state of texas for decades now uh, they tweeted this out a couple of days ago. Their projections for the starting 22 for the Texas Longhorns in 2024. So we'll go offense first to starters, and then we'll go to the defensive side of the ball. I'll screen share to give you more of a visual element. And then for those of you listening on the app, we'll, uh, we'll tell you who they have listed as the 11 starters for the Horns when we get to the fall. 
starting quarterback, Quinn Ewers. Boy, they really could have gotten some pub if they put Arch Manning there over Quinn, right? <laughs> yeah, that would do uh, something slightly different to the publication. Yeah, yeah, they would have lost. The ire of Texas fans, or some Texas fans. Some Texas fans would be fans of it, I guess. Yeah, they would have lost some credibility, but maybe gained some following with that one. Uh, C.J. Baxter listed as the starting running back. They've got three starting wide receivers. Jontae Cook, Matthew Golden, and Isaiah Bond. Gunnar Helm listed at tight end. Then your five offensive linemen left to right. Kelvin Banks, Hayden Connor, Jake Majors, D.J. Campbell, Cam Williams. Trey, I'll ask you, looking at these 11 projected starters from Dave Campbell's, do you think they got it right? Is there something that you think will be different? Is there something that you think maybe should be different? There is a chance that we see somebody other than C.J. Baxter as the starting running back, although I think it probably does end up being Baxter. And there's a chance that we see changes at right tackle and left guard. Now, if we see a change at left guard, it means that Hayden Connor has been kicked out to right tackle. And if so, somebody's going to be replacing him at left guard. I, I think the biggest question on this offense right now, BK, is whether or not Cam Williams can be the guy to get it done at right tackle. I guess you can say there's a secondary question as to who those three wide receivers are going to be. Is Silas Bolden uh, going to have a good enough spring and fall camp to be, to be considered one of the three starting wide receivers? But ultimately, it's about who is replacing Christian Jones at right tackle in my mind. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, right? Running back will be an interesting position battle to watch because I honestly thought Jaden Blue was better than C.J. Baxter at the end of last season. I, now, C.J. Baxter was the starter over Jonathan Brooks at the beginning of this year as a true freshman. Coaches got that one wrong. No harm, no foul. Texas still had a great year. But we know the coaching staff loves C.J. Baxter, and it's like, well, if he's the starter as a true freshman and the guy who took his job last season is no longer here, then it feels likely that C.J. Baxter will be the starter when we get to uh, week one this fall against Colorado State. But, yeah, that's one to watch. I don't know if we'll have an answer by the end of spring. Uh, I feel like Jaden Blue has a chance to be this team's best running back this year. Tight end is another one I would throw in there, too. If you want to give thoughts on running back, though, go ahead. I think I cut you off. Oh, no, it's, it's not much of a thought other than, you know, it may work out better to have C.J. Baxter as the first guy because he brings a sort of physicality and also the ability to, to break bigger plays. But then you substitute Jaden Blue in, and all of a sudden you're dealing with that blinding one-cut speed. And it can catch a defense off guard if they're starting to become accustomed to that different, more powerful, more physical running style. Yeah, yeah, I think both guys are going to be significant contributors for this offense this fall. Tight end would be another position I'd look at just because they brought Amari Nyblack in from the portal. Uh, Nyblack had more production last year than Gunnar Helm. Now, Gunnar Helm is the benefit of, uh, he was a part of this offense last year, and he's been a part of this offense, and he knows Steve Sarkeesian very well and has some rapport with Quinn Ewers. So maybe Gunnar Helm ultimately is the starting tight end, but Amari Nyblack could be that guy with what he did at Alabama. And it feels like uh, this coaching staff is pretty high on him as well. And then, yeah, wide receiver, like you said, is big. But right tackle, like that, that does feel like the most up-for-grabs position going into the spring. I think every Texas fan wants Cam Williams to be that guy because he is just a massive human being. And if he could stay in good shape and also has the athleticism to be mobile enough at his ridiculously large size 
to be an effective right tackle, then this guy's got a chance to be like a first-round pick in a few years just because of the way he's built. But if it's not clicking right now, you know, it's an important position for Texas. You, you need this offensive line to be ready to go for Michigan, who even though Michigan's losing a lot, they're still going to have one of the best D-lines in the nation. And obviously you're going up against SEC defenses week in and week out. You have to have your big uglies up front ready to roll. Cam Williams ain't that dude, then all right, you got to figure something else out up there. That's a huge spot Texas has to get right. I'm going to ask a critical question of a couple of the skill guys that Texas got in the transfer portal who you just talked about because I think there is maybe some validity to this, and we're just going to have to see things play out to know for sure. But, and I need to give credit to Jeff Barker with at least one of these cases for pointing out the actual stats versus just kind of what the common thought has been all along with one of these guys. In a couple of transfer portal cases where Texas has landed a uh, theoretical big-time commitment and signing from a skill position guy, how good is that person versus us seeing the best version of that person when we played them? And the two examples are Matthew Golden and then Nye Black, where if you go back and look at each of their stats, and for Golden, it's the I mean, it's both guys' it's cumulative season stats. Matthew Golden didn't even get 500 yards receiving this year. Nye Black, his best game far and away was against Texas. He had one other game that year, and I think he only had two catches against Texas. He only had one other game throughout the course of the 2023 season where he had three catches, and that was his high for the season. Every other game was a catch or two. So are we sure that these two guys are as good as advertised. I have, interestingly, I guess, less questions about Silas Bolden. We saw him uh, get more of a statistical, a uh, bit of statistical evidence, I guess, that he can be a dude at wide receiver. I think Isaiah Bond to a degree as well, even though he didn't crack 75 yards at all through the course of the season. And Steve Sarkeesian's offense, we will see that happen, hopefully time and time again. But with those two guys... Are the reality of their statistics more telling than our belief of what they're going to become based on us having watched them with their own eyes against the Longhorns? I don't know. I mean, Matthew Golden was second team as a returner, second team All-Big 12 as a return man. So I think you know for sure that that guy's got some juice there. That guy was an electric returner for both the years he was at the University of Houston. Uh, despite not cracking 500 yards, he did have six touchdowns last season in only nine games playing with the quarterback who's worse than Quinn Ewers. Uh, and he did have closer to 600 yards his freshman year, too, to go along with seven touchdowns. So, uh, look, I like if anyone is telling you these three wide receivers that Texas brought in in the portal are guaranteed to be as good as Worthy, Mitchell, and Whittington, then, uh, you know, you're kidding yourselves. Like, it, it's not going to be as clean uh, for these three guys as it was for the last three guys, who two of them might be first-round picks in the NFL draft here in a couple of months. Um, I don't know. I still think Matthew Golden's a very good player. I don't think he's reached his full ceiling. And then for Amari Nyblack, look, I mean, we, we brought up his numbers before on this show. Like, he only had 20 catches last year. He's not he's not Jatavion Sanders. Now, Nyblack had better numbers than Gunnar Helm did a season ago. So maybe Nyblack is better than Helm. Maybe he's not. But yeah, I don't, like, if, if you're expecting those guys to be Xavier Worthy and Jatavion Sanders, then I would say pump the brakes a little bit. But if you're expecting them to be significant factors in this offense and put up better numbers than they did this past season at the previous stops, I don't I don't think that's too unfair. I've been guilty of just assuming that Matthew Golden was going to step into that Xavier Worthy role, but 
maybe I'm thinking about that wrong. Maybe it is more someone like Jonte Cook, whereas Matthew Golden can still be a really good productive player for this offense, but he's more complimentary than that obvious number one option. Yeah, yeah, I wonder who is the number one for Texas, right? Like, people see that Bond is from Bama, and he was kind of the number one last year at Bama, so it feels like he's the assumed number one guy. But I, I don't know who is the best of these receivers. And hell, X was the number one receiver for Texas, but you know, A.D. Mitchell caught more touchdowns than X did. And I think a lot of Longhorn fans thought A.D. Mitchell was better than X this season. So maybe it's one of those situations where it's you know Bond and Golden or or one guy has more yards and more catches, but the other guy has more touchdowns. Like that's that's not a bad problem to have if if you're uh, Steve Sarkeesian in this Longhorn offense. So yeah, I mean spring ball spring ball will be fun to watch with these wide receivers, especially like. You love watching skill position guys in the spring. You love hearing about skill position guys in the spring. And, uh, you know, Texas doesn't have any proven commodities at Texas in their receiver room. They've got a ton of potential. They've got guys who have put up numbers at other spots. Uh, but, you know, eight returning catches from last year for the wide receivers. And all eight of those were by John Tay Cook, who could be a starter. Hell, he might not be a starter. Could be Silas Bolden on this page instead of uh, John Tay Cook by the time we get to late August. So, who knows? See, I think there's more of a likelihood that Bolden is replacing one of those other two guys than Jonte Cook, for whatever reason. He has less skins on the wall, so it's probably stupid thinking by me. But the fact that he's been in the system, started to gain the coach's trust, we know how loyal a guy Steve Sarkeesian is. I feel like Jonte Cook is maybe the one lock in this lineup as a starting wide receiver right now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Silas Bolden is more of a slot guy because he's he's very undersized. Uh, and that's where I think Jonte Cook is more likely to be. And, you know, Isaiah Bond and Matthew Golden, I think, are both over six feet. So <laughs> you run into the whole position debate. But you could be right. I want to see what Jonte Cook brings to the table. I'll be a little sad if he's not a starter uh, this yeah. season just because, you know, he's a five-star and showed some flashes last year. And Texas fans like myself, you know, no one was mad about the three starters Texas had on the outside. but. I wouldn't have hated Jonte Cook finding a way to see the field a little bit more just so we could see a little bit more of uh, of what he provides. So that's offense. We'll go to defense here for a couple of minutes before where are we at in society. Uh, this picture of Ethan Burke is hilarious, dude. Here's your uh, projected starting defense for Texas in 2024. You've got Ethan Burke, Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton, and Baron Sorrell. It's your four down linemen. You got Anthony Hill. David Benda listed as your two safeties. Terrence Brooks, Manny Muhammad, the corners. Derek Williams and Andrew Makuba, the Clemson transfer, as your safeties. And then Jade Barron back at Nickelback. Thoughts on this? Seems pretty straightforward. Is there a chance we see Colin Simmons in place of Ethan Burke at the start of the season or at some point later in the year? Maybe. But, yeah, this seems pretty straightforward. It seems a little bit more straightforward for me than the offensive side of the ball does right now. I think there's one surprising omission here. And this guy is a transfer, and he's making a big leap in terms of competition that he'll be going up against. But I feel like Trey Moore is a starter on this team, right? Maybe, yeah. No, he was very productive for UTSA last year. That That's probably the best candidate to be in place of Ethan Burke to start the season. Yeah, like I get it. Burke and Sorrell started last year at Texas, so... It makes sense that Dave Campbell would put those guys in as the starters, but Trey Moore had 14 and a half sacks last year. Yeah. Like neither Burke nor Sorrell had more than, I think, five last season. So once again, playing at Texas, playing the schedule Texas went up against, a little different than uh, the UTSA schedule. But 
I feel like Trey Moore, like I'd be, I'd be disappointed to use that word again if Trey Moore isn't a starter. No shot at Burt, no shot at Terrell. I think both of those guys are going to play a lot next year. But I, I think the Longhorns went out and got Trey Moore with the expectation that he is going to be a starter uh, for this defense under Pete Kwiatkowski next year. The corners will be huge, man. Like the, the secondary, we're all in wait and see mode. It looks pretty good on paper. Makuba, three years of high major college football experience. Uh, Derek Williams, as a true freshman, looked very good at times. So you think he's going to be better in his second year. Jade Barron you know, struggled to end the year. His last two games were not great, but for the majority of the season, he was the best option Texas had in its secondary. Obviously, you know, Terrence Brooks and Nanny Muhammad, another year for both of those guys. Muhammad did some great things as a true frosh, too. So we're all in wait and see mode for the secondary, Trey, but like on paper, it doesn't look too bad. I feel good about Muhammad. I have no idea what to think about Terrence Brooks. I thought this would be a big year for him in terms of taking steps forward. And we saw some of that, but we also saw some really ugly moments too. So, you know, this is a meritocracy. So every position in theory is up for grabs. I feel like the coaches are going to be looking hard at their cornerback options. Maybe we see Jade Barron slide to the outside and take over Terrence Brooks and Terrence Brooks becomes that first cornerback off the bench, if you will. And that allows them to either get Gilbo out there at that nickel position, or maybe they slide Makuba down and do something a little bit different at safety. Uh, it, it will be curious to see how things play out in this secondary, but uh, this is a huge year for Terrence Brooks. We're either going to see Terrence Brooks truly take that step forward and become more consistent this year, or this is likely his final season as a Longhorn. Mm. not saying that he's going to go pro, but he probably hits the transfer portal after this. If he ends up losing out on playing time to a younger guy or a guy uh, who is uh, of similar age, who's already on the roster, who provides a little bit more security and stability on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Terrence Brooks. We'll see about Gavin Holmes too, um, who did some things. He's back for another year. He actually graded out very well, according to pro football focus, which I found interesting. Uh, a season ago because didn't feel like anybody in that Texas secondary did a whole lot right in 2023. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a big year for all these players. It's a big year for Terry Joseph and Blake Gideon. I, I know Sark didn't make any moves for those two guys this offseason. Maybe he still brings in an analyst. Obviously, he was trying to bring in Dwayne Aquina. Aquina got the D.C. job at Arizona, so he uh, stood pat there. But if if the secondary causes Texas's demise again in 2024 – uh, there's going to be some changes made to the coaching staff and obviously some personnel changes too. So they've they've got to be better. I'd like to think they will be better, but they've got to be better. Otherwise, some heads might start rolling. Yeah, that's... If heads aren't... If they, if they are inconsistent to bad like they were this year and like they were far too many times, even going back into 2022, and heads aren't rolling, then I've got to start asking questions about the loyalty working against Sark. Yeah. In regards to a, an unwillingness to get rid of guys. Some Tom Herman stuff right there, too. Just like hanging on to your buddies way too long, even though they're clearly not cut out for the job that they've been assigned to do. It's like, come on, man. He, he blew up the toilet of uh, one of the most important five-star recruits of this cycle, and you're going to keep him around? Like, uh, the writing's on the wall here. The shit's on the, his shit's on the fucking shower door. Uh, nicely done there. Good reference. Yeah, Jabbar Muhammad would be great. My God, that would be... I'd feel a hell of a lot better about this secondary if Manny's cousin ends up committing to Texas. Still looking at Bama, still looking at Oregon. I think those are the top three right now for Jabbar Muhammad, the UW transfer. If we get that guy in here, then 
I might, I might uh, buy a ticket to Atlanta, dude. I'll be feeling that good. I was under the impression that he is either on the verge of committing to Oregon or already had, but mm. it sounds like Oregon is the front runner, which is what was expected when he initially entered the transfer portal. He's visiting Oregon tomorrow. He's already visited Texas and Alabama, so I don't, I don't know what to put into that. Oregon's been spending all sorts of NIL money, and we don't, we don't do that stuff here. These guys just want to come play for Texas. That's right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who the leader in the clubhouse is. I thought Bama was just because Kalen DeBoer was his coach at UW, and now he's the coach at Bama. But you've you've probably done more research on the insider sides on this than I have. So we'll still hold out hope for Jabbar Muhammad. He would be a godsend for this Texas secondary. Okay, uh, quick shout out to Olipop. Love that stuff. Great tasting soda. That's actually good for you. If you haven't tried it yet, you are missing out. It is fantastic. Tons of great flavors. The classic cola, the lemon lime, the Dr. Goodwin, the root beer, the cream soda, the, the list goes on and on. Get you some at uh, wherever you buy your groceries this weekend. Also, shout out to BetUS. If you're trying to make money betting on sports this weekend, just click the link in the YouTube video description below and you make a $50 deposit. Our friends at BetUS are going to hook you up with some great bonuses. And you will also be helping us out as well. So, uh, yeah, YouTubers, click the link in the video description. If you're listening on the app, make sure you hit the Explore Our Socials tab on the homepage of the app and then click the BetUS link and you'll find it right there. If you want to make money betting on sports all year long, you got to go to BetUS. Uh, Trey, I think you were live yesterday with Pest Wranglers, so we will go with a recorded spot from our great friends at Pest Wranglers today. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? I'm making a silly commercial like other companies so people will remember our name. But we're not like other companies. Anyone could see that from our five-star reviews. But how will people remember Pest Wranglers? Well, once they try us, they'll never forget that we are the most effective, reliable, and affordable pest control company. I guess you're right. Pest Wranglers is the best at pest control, wildlife management, termite pest control. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? Hey, it couldn't hurt. Pest Wranglers, 512 670 7808 or find us on the web at pestwranglers.com. Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism and has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. I'm going to preface this by saying that this is a sensitive, even though if you call it a political issue, a sensitive international issue, and it has become politicized. So yes, it is a political issue too, mm. that I am not well versed on. I am ignorant here. I am not smart enough to understand the complex nuance that exists in this subject to have a hardened opinion one way or the other. Even though generally speaking, I am team robot, when it comes to humans versus humans, I try to be team human. And that is see the humanity of it all and hope that the innocents are kept relatively safe. So yesterday, pick the kids up from school. I park somewhat close to school and we walk back to my car because I need to get back here by three o'clock for the three to five show. And as we're walking back, my daughter is telling me, because we always go through, what made you happy? What did you do well in class? And what is something from class that you can do a little bit, that you want to do a little bit better tomorrow or after the weekends in today's case? 
And so the thing that made her happy yesterday was being a part of the international fair. I'm like, oh, what was the international fair? International fairs when parents of kids who have a uh, a diverse international flair, their ethnic makeup is uh, someplace other than the U.S. They come to school, they put together a small presentation or a setup that helps explain uh, the uh, the country of origin or the area that they come from and what's cool or interesting about that, which is a great idea. I love that. You can't travel around the world. Next best thing is to talk to people who come from elsewhere around the world to maybe uh, help heighten your own cultural sensibilities. Well, so as Vivian is telling you this, she's like, I even got this cool flag. And she pulls a flag out. And I'm like, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, what is the flag? And she's like, I don't remember. I'm like, okay. She's like, I'll tell you when we get back into the car because I have it written down in my, they came up with like these little printed up fake passports. She's like, we got these stamps and I'll tell you which one it is when I see the stamp. So we get back in the car and she's flipping through. I'm like, is this, is it Iran? Iraq? Like, I feel like this is a Middle Eastern country here. Like I recognize this flag from somewhere and I can't tell where. And so she eventually figured it out herself, and she says, oh, this is the flag for the Palestinian state. Mm. And again, I'm dumb. Not smart enough to figure out what, what exactly is going on there right now, other than seeing that there's a lot of fucked up shit happening to innocent humans on both sides of this, this uh, horrible, uh, horrible situation. So, I, you know, I don't really react. I'm like, oh, well, you know what? That's, uh, I'm glad that that person had flags to pass around. But I'm thinking to myself, like, this is a politically charged situation here where you are seeing people really picking teams on one side or the other to pass flags around is injecting your own politics, I feel like, into this situation to these unknowing kids who really don't know better one way or the other. And so that's my question for you is like, it's like... Just like there was, uh, there was somebody from Israel who was there talking to the kids about what the Israeli experience is like. The person from Palestine, was it inappropriate for them to be passing flags around? There were no other flags being passed around at this international fair. And considering what is happening on the world stage right now and how much that particular part of the world, how much attention that particular part of the world is getting, I just feel like the, uh, the flag was better left at home in that situation. So this wasn't the teacher passing out the flags. This was a parent? It was a parent. Yeah. It's like, use use better sense here. By bit. the way, like, I, I'm assuming that I would feel the same way if it is an Israeli flag. Again, I, I, I'm team human here. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I'm not smart enough. I, I have not had the time to really go deep on this issue, and I know it's a complex issue. Yeah, that that parent is recruiting. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, like you should give kids cool stuff and party favors, and they're gonna be like, "Yeah, I like that side better." Well, the Israeli person didn't give me a flag, but the Palestinian person gave me a flag. I like them more than I like Israel. That's a, a recruiting job right there by said parent. I'm just making sure that I'm not crazy because it struck me as yeah. weird that that's the one flag that my kid was sent home with. That's bad. Like that's the teacher should have stepped up and been like, we, we can't do that here. Like you either like, give out. I, 
both flags, which I, I don't think you should give out either flag, but you either give out both. It's like, oh, here's the story of what's going on here. Or you give out none, which probably makes the most sense because yeah, there was a subliminal message going on there from uh, from said parent, I think. Or give out all the flags. Like, I don't I don't want to sure. go I don't want to go full on male Karen here. We call him Mayor Karen. Chad? Is Chad the, the white guy name? Not to throw our former colleagues <laughs> under the bus here. I don't want to go full male Karen here, but like, do I need to call the school and be like, hey, can y'all you please use more common sense? than to pass one single flag around involving a, a, a territory or a state that is in major headlines right now where people are not only picking teams, getting really hostile towards one another in the process. So were there more countries involved in this debate than just those? Oh, there were a lot of countries. There were countries from all over Europe. There were countries from the Middle East. There were countries from Africa. There were countries from Asia. Canada was represented. Mexico was represented. Uh, Central and South America. Yeah, I mean, it really was an international fair, and it's a two-day event. But there was only yeah. one of those countries slash states slash territories that was passing flags around at a time where we're seeing a lot of those flags around, too. Yep. That's uh, basic imagery that you see on news stories right now. I'd be surprised if there wasn't a parent who already called because I'm sure there was some kid like leaving school yesterday, just like waving that flag running around. And some parent is like, what the hell is going on here? Dude, there were a lot of them. That's, yeah. That was the other thing that, that <laughs> is. Oh, God. Yeah. The parent knew exactly what they were doing, man. Like you shouldn't have had flags from anywhere. Uh, but obviously like a Canadian flag right now would be less frowned upon than in either Israel or state of Palestine flag. So yeah, that's uh, you. I, my guess is if you did call, you wouldn't be the first person to call, but some teacher should have stepped in and been like, we, we can't do that. So I know there would have been hostility too. And again, I don't have a team here. I'm team human trying to figure out a way to be supportive of uh, all side, all, all innocent on whatever side, if there were Israeli flags right now, you know there would have been a vocal outrage about that. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think so. I would also think uh, the state of Palestine flags would cause that sort of outrage too. I, so. I think you're right about that. And hopefully others yeah. have uh, done this because I just, I don't have that Larry David moment in me with this one. I, I'm just, I just want to go enjoy the Palestinian <laughs> chicken as an Armenian guy. Yeah, we, well, hold on. We've got better food than they do. I just want to go. Dad, come on! I just want to go enjoy that uh, that that Turkish hookah shop as an Armenian here. I, I just <laughs> want to see the the best of both worlds here. Okay. Yeah, a lot of the cuisine's the exact same. So I, um, I that's the, the funny thing is, <laughs> although you guys can have dolmas, I don't know how prevalent dolmas are in Israeli cuisine. I it's like very mm. common part of Armenian food. I mm. cannot stand dolmas; they disgust me. I don't even know if I know what those are. They're grape leaves that are wrapped around wow. rice and some seasoning and whatnot. I'm out on that. Yeah. I'm out on that. All right. Bad bit. Glad, uh, not glad to hear that Rick Perry Elementary is pro-Palestine. We're running that. I'm running Eat with better, that. Rick yeah. Perry Elementary. <laughs> Come on, Rick. Uh, all right. There's where are we at in society today. Hey, I hate to uh, bolt on you guys, but I do really need to uh, step out right now. So y'all have a great weekend. Zay and Chip, I will uh, see y'all at three. See you at three, baby. Yes, we'll bolt too. Y'all have a great show, gentlemen.
Have a great weekend. Thanks, BK. Thanks, Carlos.